I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome to episode 140 of the podcast, everybody, with me, Dan Prosser, and my co-host, Andrew Frankel. This week, we're talking about car magazine, end of year, mega tests, you know, the car of the year, Britain's best driver's car, all of those sorts of things. Andrew was a judge, as he is every year, on auto cars. Um, I've been a judge on both auto cars and Evos in the past. So we're going to talk about the tests generally, um, but also some of the results from this year. There will be spoilers in there, so if you are hoping to read uh, these features before we ruin it for you, pause this episode, go and do that, and then you can come back to us. The, it's, it, it's an interesting discussion because there's one car in particular that did very mm, poorly, I think that's fair actually, it did poorly in one of these tests, and it won another. Um, so we want to get underneath the skin of that. How is that possible? Um, enjoy the episode. Last week we were talking about car magazine long-termers inspired by a listener question. Um, this week we've got another listener question and it's once again it's about car magazines. Um, we're going to be talking about those end-of-year mega tests that all the magazines have been publishing recently. Um, just before we get started Andrew I want to promise everyone that next week um, we're not going to be talking about car magazines and we'll come up with the topic ourselves. We're not going to rely on all of you lot to do that for us. Um, so, yeah, we're going to try and demystify car of the year tests. Um, David Walton, thank you for your, your question about this topic. You've inspired this podcast. Um, and it's, it's that time of year, isn't it? It's when they all come out. Um, and the fun part of it is seeing how the different magazines rate the same car. Yeah, and sometimes the results are so different, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and, and, and it must make people think, well, hang on, you know, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> well, that's it, yeah. You, you know, because you know, quite often it's literally physically the same car yeah. that we test. I mean, for instance, in the case of the Maserati MC20, I think there's only one right-hand drive press car in the country. 
um, which is one of the most hard work vehicles that mm. you know you can you can imagine, and everybody gets that car, and yet you know one magazine can make it win their car of the year test, and another came well the one I was involved with I think came eighth. Mm. Um, so maybe we'll talk a little bit about these disparities, why they happen, and whether, frankly, any of our verdicts can be relied upon. <laughs> there you go. Um, so there will be spoilers. Obviously, we're going to give away the results um, from the various car magazine tests. So if you don't want to hear them from us, you'd rather read them from the magazine directly, pause this episode, go and do that, um, and then come back and hear what we've got to say. Um, before we get started, though, let me just also remind you all, this is my weekly reminder that you can now give a subscription to the Intercooler as a gift. Um, you've still got plenty of time to buy one for the car lover in your life for Christmas. Um, and we will send you a digital gift voucher immediately. That'll come straight through um, for you to... We could print it off at home and stick it in a card, or you could just forward it on as an email, have it, however you want to do it. Um, you can choose between 3, 6, and 12 months, so it's very cost-effective. There's a 10% discount if you choose a 12-month subscription. Um, and, and you've said this before, it's a great gift because it's so easy to do. A great gift to give. Because it's yeah. so easy to do. And if they like it, just do it again. Particularly as by definition, given when this podcast goes out, every single person listening to it has already missed the last posting day for second class um, uh-huh. presence. Our time has come. <laughs> you, you've already missed it. Um, so if you're thinking, you're sitting, thinking shit, what are we going to do? Yeah. A subscription to, 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 to the Intercooler is brilliant. It'll be there in time for Christmas. It'll be wonderful. It's the gift that keeps on giving because every time they look at it, they will think of you and what a wonderful person you are. There you go. Okay, plug over. Mm. So, yeah. Car Magazine, Car the Test, they all have different names, don't they? Evo's is Car of the Year, Autocars is Britain's Best Driver's Car. Driver's Car, BBDC, but we don't even call it that. I mean, no. so I, I'm involved and I have been for more years than I care to count in the Autocar one, and we actually just call it Handling Day, but that's an internal title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, it's, but yes, it's, it's outward-facing title, is Britain's Best Driver's, best driver's car, car, BBDC, yeah. And then uh, Top Gear's is Speed Week, um, Cars is supercar uh, sports car giant test they all have different names but <clears throat> it's the same premise and more or less the same cars really um, mm, because, often. yeah um yeah, yeah i mean because they're they're all gathering together the the year's best new performance cars that's the point so mm. of course there's lots of overlap um now for you is it sort of the highlight of the road testing year definitely Mm. definitely i mean for i mean it's you know we mustn't bang on about it too much because it's a, you know it's an incredibly fortunate thing to do you know somebody else not me i, mean, I used to organize it when i was staff an autocar um but somebody else goes to a huge amount of effort to go and get all these cars together in one place um and then you know i just sort of tip up there and you know clearly there is an important job of work to do and that's why you're there but i'd be lying if i said that driving you know mclarens and porsches and ferraris and maseratis you know across snowdonia and around <laughs> you know the, the anglesey racetrack wasn't wasn't a you know fun way of passing the time it is um and yeah and they're all there and you can just kind of help yourself and and, and it's of course it's 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 an incredibly lucky thing to be able to do i really don't think that i ever take it for granted um it's it there's still even after all these years of doing it there's still nothing remotely normal about it um but at the same time you know you can't get carried away you have to remember that you're there to do a job and it's actually quite an important job um well by the standards of anything in the world of motoring journalism um so yeah so so you go you you, you go there with your head and your heart in the right kind of place and um and do what you do and it is great fun but it also it's also it's also quite hard work. I mean, it's actually it's much harder work than people 
understand. I'm not asking anyone to feel sorry for us, but it's it's long days. Um, you don't always spend your time, um, you know, driving and thrashing around in cars. There's an awful lot of time is spent taking photographs and you know writing notes and doing all this sort of thing. Um, and, and we do try to take a a professional approach to it or we do um, and we're very careful about where we go uh, and how we drive particularly in public um, which is not how we drive on the track um, and yeah I mean it's you know because we've been doing it for so long we kind of know what works now and we kind of know how to do it um, which takes an awful lot of the sort of variance out of it but it's um, yeah it's a, it, it, it's a long old few days certainly mm. yeah and when there's video to be shot as well it's that's a proper time drain isn't it and so there's yeah. an awful lot that needs to be done and everybody needs to cycle through all the cars not just for yeah. a few minutes but they really they need to feel like they've really got under the skin of every single car there and so yeah it does mean that there's an awful lot to do and of course you shoot it in you know around september maybe, maybe october the, the days yeah. are getting shorter so it's it, it can be quite sort of frantic but it, yeah, as you say and, and, and also fun. you can't you know you are sort of, you're a bit of a different person particularly if you're doing you know the a day on track you're a bit of a different person when by the end of the day than you are at the start of the day. you know you turn up at the start of the day and we use angles and we usually seem to for some reason we seem to be up there in november or something and, and actually we've been quite blessed with the weather but the, but the track is usually pretty slippery first thing and you know, and no one wants to be out there in the you know in the in, in the really hot stuff at first thing in the morning. So there's you know everybody's sort of looking for the you know the GR86 or the nice four wheel drive BMW or something to go and get those early laps in. Um, and by the end of the day, when everything's completely dry and you're completely dialed in and you're you know you're driving you know as well as you've ever driven, um, your terms of reference are distinctly different. So you've got to go back and do the other stuff again. Mm. Um, because otherwise, you know, the way you approach the first one and the way you think about the first one won't be the same way that you approach and think about the last one. Um, and it's that, those are the sort of learnings that you only kind of get your head around after years and years of doing it. Indeed. So you were um, a judge again on auto cars test this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good crop of cars. Yeah, I think it was actually. Um, I thought it was an outstanding um, year. Um, I, in fact, I said I think the last time that we did, had a better year, which was probably 2016, when we had a, a 488 GTB, a 911R, a 675LT, that sort of thing. I yeah. can remember that, wasn't it? But actually, this year, um, when we had, um, well, we had two Porsches. We had a GT3 and a GT4 RS. We had a 296 GTB. We had an Artura. We had the MC20. Um, we had the RML short wheelbase, mm, yeah, um, which is the 550 Marinello base thing which looks like a 1960 short wheelbase but isn't um we had the gr86 uh yeah so we, we yeah it was a fantastic crop of cars this year um we had the caterer 420 cup the sort of thing you know the race car with a sequential mm. box but um you know made road legal um and yeah and you know i'm i don't spend because i'm a freelancer and i get paid by the day um i don't spend as much time up there as everybody else does um, but I still did a full day on the road and then did a full day on the track. Um, and at the end of that, yeah, you kind of know what's what, or you think you do, until you mm. read somebody else's test and they did, you realise they come to a completely different set of um, <laughs> opinions to you. Um, well, but I do think, sorry to bang on, but I do think that you know what the auto car guys do is, I don't think it can be done any better simply because they do have both components now not everybody goes and drives their cars on the track and 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 the order that we would have come up with if we'd only driven the cars on the road would have been completely different 
um, to the one that we did come up with because literally 50% of the points are allocated on the basis of how the car behaves on the road and the other half of how it is on the track. Um, and so that's one reason if you're looking for, you know, for instance, why Evo put the MC20 first and we placed it eighth, they didn't drive it on the track. Now, there's an argument which says these are road cars, you know, shouldn't they go on the track? But at the same time, you can't drive a car on the road the same way you can drive it on the car. Not if you're sane. Um, it's, it's bonkers. So you cannot put the car through its paces in the same way that we can if you only drive it on the road. So it's, it's an important distinction. And I'm not saying we're right and they're wrong, but it's important to understand that the terms of reference are not the same. And if you are looking for reasons why people come to different conclusions, I suspect it's as much that uh, and things like weather, which is another variable. I mean, if one set, if, if, if one car of the year test has, um, you know, unending rain and the other one is done in bone dry conditions and depending on the tyres that the cars are supplied on, you could get, you know, this has happened in the past, you can get wildly different results. So there are all sorts of reasons. Um, but I think if you do do it on the basis of road and track, then you have at least covered all bases. Uh, and we publish all the individual scores for the road and all the individual scores for the track. So you can see how we would have ranked them if you'd only based it on one or the other. Um, and I think it is the comprehensive professional way to do it. That's a very interesting point, actually. I've not looked back through Autocar's results to see if it would have been a different outcome had it only been... Um, I could have a look now. Actually, it's the... It's, I think it's probably a very similar outcome. Had it only been a road test or had it only been a track test? Um, mm. which, I want to go and do, I'd like to go and do the numbers. I bet it wouldn't be the same. It might be similar, but it wouldn't be the same. No, not the same all the way through. Not at all, no. Yeah. No, no. Okay, so there are two cars in particular from this year that um, we're seeing sort of varying results for. You've mentioned one already, the Maserati MC20, <clears throat> which in auto cars finished uh, eighth. That's not a strong showing, really, from the MC20. What, I mean, what do you put that down to? Because did it do better on the road than it did track? I'm presuming it did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it absolutely did better on the road than on the track. Uh, and, that, and, that's what I put it, and, and, and that's what I put it down to. Um, it, it, it was, you know, it, it, it was frustrating. Really. A, you know, one thing to say is the standard was unbelievably high. You know, you, any car is going to do well to take on a GT3, a GT4 RS, an Artura, and a 296 GTB, and a GR86. Um, and we have the RML there. That's the other thing, is that we don't always have the same cars. You know, some cars had, you know, some, some tests had the M4 CSL in it. We didn't because it was often another one at the time. But, you know, we had the RML short wheelbase in there. So you're not always comparing the same car. Um, you know, on the track, um, you know, it was nicely damped, and that engine is an absolute weapon. Um, but it didn't steer properly. Um, I didn't trust it. The brakes felt completely dead. And you don't need too many of those sorts of problems when you've got cars that are as complete as, you know, the others I've mentioned, um, for it to start tumbling down the order. Um, you know, the standard was so high this year that even, you know, pretty good was often not nearly good enough. Uh, and, that, and such was the case of the MC20. Uh, and I think it does say as much about the standard of the other cars that were there as the MC20 itself. But it was flawed. And it was and it was flawed in a way that you wouldn't pick up or you wouldn't pick up so much if you only drove it on the road. Um, so, yeah, that's why, you know, it came where it came. Uh, and the other thing, you know, that I would say particularly about the way that we do it is, you know, we don't talk to each other when we're assessing these cars. 
Uh, we might raise an eyebrow or something else, but there's no sort of debate before we score. So there's no sort of orchestrated um, effort where one person with a particularly strong set of opinions could influence the others into going, oh, well, maybe I he thinks that, therefore I should too. We just sit down and we just do it. So everything is done completely blind and independently. Um, and you get what you get. And, you know, for instance, you know, I put the Artura uh, first equal... I think with the GT4 RS, um, somebody else I think placed it fifth. Um, so you know, it's not as if we're sort of comparing notes and then coming up with an agreed policy beforehand. We just score these things as individuals, and then all the numbers get totted up, and the results are the result. So let me trot through the the full order that on, in the autocar test. Dead last, eleventh, honourable. Yeah. Um, lose Morgan Super Three. Not really a surprise, is it? I mean, I remember years and years ago on one of these tests, we had a a caterum and it's a sort of fairly boggo one um mm. and the trouble is these the very sort of focused or quirky or um very left field cars they often just tend to come dead last don't they um because you know there's a, of course a charm about them but for whatever reason they often don't perform well in these tests yeah and the, actually actually i mean I, I think another point to make is that despite our best intentions quite often a complete duffer turns up i mean there we have had some terrible cars um turn up uh and you know we had i think last year we had the david brown aselli mini it's one of the very worst cars i've ever driven on one of these um on one of these things it was utterly unfit for purpose um but that wasn't the case this year, and 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 one of the sort of sadnesses is you, you you sort of read that blanks the you know the bald statistic you know the Morgan comes last, um, and we think oh well that's not very surprising because I can't remember a time when a Morgan did one of these things when it didn't come last, um, but actually the Super Three is cracking on the road. It is so much. It's the best Morgan I've ever driven. It is so much, but it feels like a car. It feels like something which was developed by you know by a team of you know, talented individuals with a budget. Um, it just, it just, it did, it was just, it was so unsuited to the track. And again, if this had been road only, it would have done so much better. It was a brilliant car for going to the pub in. It just was not a great car for going around a racetrack. Um, oh, now that's so, a test, isn't it? The best pub car of the year. Yeah. Maybe that's what we'll do oh, next I mean, year. If it, if it had been pub car of the year, I genuinely think it would have won. <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have voted it first. I mean, who wants to go to a pub in a 296 GTB? Not me. Um, but a Super 3, absolutely. We're onto something there. Okay, yeah. so 10th in Autocars test, BMW M240i X-Drive. It's not a surprise. It's not a full M car. Aston Martin DBX 707. Um, then the Maserati MC20. Caterham 7420 Cup. Um, yeah. RML short wheelbase. Stonking result for the short wheelbase by RML. Stonking result for the short wheel. It was so good, though. It was so Bloody good hell. because... You know, it, 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 what was so brilliant about it is it didn't try to go fast. Mm. It's a 550 Maranello under it, which itself is a double um, winner of this event back in the 1990s. So, you know, the underpinnings, which they completely rebuilt, were pretty bloody good already. Um, but it's quite softly suspended. It's on Pirelli Rosso tyres, whatever they are. I seem to remember them from a while back. Um, it's got really very little grip. Um, and so you just drifted around all over the place. And, you know, you can't tell me that's not fun. Mm. Uh, it was so it was superb. brilliant. I can I can remember getting out of it and saying to the guys, "I'm going to have to go and drive something less amusing instead now." And whatever it was, I mean, it was it was the most 
So it was by no means the most capable, but it was probably the most purely entertaining car there. Oh, wow. Well, that counts for a lot, doesn't it? Great mm. engine as well. Um, okay, then the fifth Toyota GR86. Good yeah. showing for an affordable car. Yes. One of the few there. And then McLaren... Well, particularly in this field. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. McLaren Artura, um, then third, Cayman GT4 RS, 296 GTB runner-up, 911 GT3 winner. So presumably the 911 mm. GT3 was there as last year's winner. It just happened to Correct. be again. Yeah. 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 So the point um, being that in Autocar's view, there hasn't been a better performance car in 22 than there was in 21. Yeah, I mean, that's Autocar's. It's not my view. Um, yeah. You know, I, I actually didn't particularly get on with this particular, with, with this GT3 they um, oh. they pitched up with. Everybody else did. Um, I placed the McLaren first equal with the GT4 RS. Mm. Um, then I had the Ferrari, and I think I had the GT3 down in fourth place. Um, but, you know, each to their own. Yeah. Um, well, there you go. Spot the anomalies here when I run through auto cars, sorry, Evo's um, mm-hmm. results. Dead last, Mercedes AMG SL55. It's not really a surprise. Doesn't surprise me. No, M4 CSL. So auto car didn't have the M4 CSL, but have you driven one? I'm not sure if you have yet. No, I haven't. I've, no. No, I've got one coming in, in in January, but I haven't driven it yet. So Evo had it second to last um, behind the Audi R8 V10 performance rear wheel drive. And then fifth, Cayman GT4 RS. The curious thing about this is that both um, Autocar and Evo had the GT4 RS third for Autocar, fifth for um, Evo. So, you know, not exactly fighting for the win in either case. And yet Top Gear uh, had it first. And I think Car had it on the podium as well. Um, So there's something slightly curious going on about the GT4 RS. You loved it. You had it joint first. Uh, But some of your colleagues quite clearly didn't agree. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to explain these things, um, and that's in a way how, as it should be because these are, you know, these are subjective opinions. Yeah, they get out they? there and um, put instruments on them, and we no. do record a lap time uh, for each car, but it doesn't contribute to the overall score. We just do it because we think people are, in, you know, would be interested in it. Um, it's a purely subjective judgment, and 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 it just, you know, I love the way that car. Um, would just sort of rotate around its uh, around its middle. It felt, you know, the engine is obviously ridiculous, um, and <coughs> you know there was it was absolutely what I wanted a sort of hybrid road and track car to be. Um, you know, and you know, I imagine if you tot up the points, you know, it, wherever it came, it would have been quite close to the others. Um, but when you're in a field which includes things like you know, Altura, you know, a two nine six GTB, um, and a GT three. Um, then you know, then I guess it's not surprising that it's a close fought battle because these cars are all you know tedious though it is to say so they're all superb. Um, mm. And also, and we don't let price become a factor in our deliberations either. But at the same time, you know, it's hard to ignore that this thing is far and away the most affordable of these cars. Um, and for it even to be in that company, I think is you know is is, is very impressive. I just loved it. Um, mm. Others less so. I mean, others I think thought that the 911 was a had more sense of occasion, uh, and maybe because you know it's got more downforce, uh, more grip, uh, rear steer, and all these other things that the GT4 RS doesn't have, um, and the double wishbone front suspension. Um, maybe they thought it was a more you know precise, honed track car. I don't know. Um, I just enjoy the GT4 RS more, and I can't really put it any other way than that for me. Mm. In, in that particular car on those particular days, I preferred it. 
Yeah, and when we got the GT4 RS and the 911 GT3 together, you preferred the GT4 RS. I yeah, and you, pre- preferred, I, the and you preferred the GT3. Yeah, yeah. There, you there, go. there are no wrong answers here. No. And pe- people often say, you know, how could you say this? As if, you know, there's a, que- there's a sense that, you know, I don't know, we were right and Evo was wrong yeah, yeah. or vice versa. It's not a question of that. Um, and I think the only thing that, you know, you have to ask yourself is, are these opinions being honestly drawn by people with sufficient skill and experience for them to be credible and in both cases all cases i think the answer to those questions is yes and so Mm. the results are you know just what we what we conclude they're all valid um so joint third for evo was the mclaren artura and ferrari 296 gtb um Mm -hmm. runner-up they had the toyota gr86 Excellent showing there. Winner, Maserati MC20. We've already dis- discussed their winner. Um, yeah. Will Ferrari have been disappointed not to have won either of these? Second in autocars. Reading between the lines, it looked as though they went to certain lengths to try and nick a win this year. I think nick's quite a strong word. Um, you know, Ferrari, Ferrari sort of take a Formula One approach to this. <laughs> you know, we, we, we all have our rules and... And Ferrari exploits them to the absolute max. So, for instance, you know, in the autocar event, there is no rule saying you can't bring a car on one set of tyres for the road and then bolt another set of completely different tyres for a completely different specification for it on the track. You might argue, I might argue that there should be a rule and I wouldn't be amazed if next year there is that rule and so a, a rule which says you can bring as many tires as you like but they all have to be the same so you decide what car, tires you want your car to be tested on and it'll be tested on those tires on road and track i don't think that would be a silly thing to do um there isn't a rule which say you know that a manufacturer can't go and spend a huge amount of money buying 102 octane fuel from this somewhere on bista heritage and bringing it up in a in a, in a, in a gulf livery drum and hand cranking it into the car <laughs> which is what Ferrari, which which is what Ferrari did. Um, I'm not quite sure what benefit it brought. It might have taken a few tenths off the lap time, but seeing as lap times don't count towards the overall score, I mean, what it did do was make us all sort of think, okay, fine, you know, you are obeying the technical, you know, rules as they are, but is this really within the spirit of what we're trying to do? And I don't think any of us thought that it was. Um, and you know, I, my view, for I would take a different view, is that it did them more harm than good. Um, even though you know they absolutely, you know, there's no suggestion of any skullduggery or anything like that going on. Um, but everybody else just supplied a car, uh, and most people brought a sort of um, a, a a techie guy along just in case something went wrong, or more often because you know we'd been through a set of tyres and then they'd fit another set of exactly the same tyres. But you know, we, we don't stop them doing it, so maybe you can't blame them for doing it. So can you just give us a minute on the 296 GTB itself? You've clearly driven it on road, on track. Um, what do you think? I thought it was fantastic. Mm. I really, really did. Um, you know, I, I thought that the Artura was a slightly more rounded road and track car. I love the feel that you get from the McLaren, um, which you don't quite get from the Ferrari. But the Ferrari was so fast and so capable um i really really enjoyed it i thought it was a fantastic thing um so you know from my point of view i mean i put it you know well technically third but but second after you know the the gt4 rs and the arturo which i made joint winners so um you know no criticism for me of the car at all i think they've done a fantastic job but um 
but they haven't. Would they expect to win? I don't know. Um, you know, I was speaking to somebody off the record from McLaren um, about you know the Arteira and how they th- thought and hoped it might get on. Um, and their view was they hoped obviously that it would win, but you know it would be enough for them for it to be up there because they want to be seen to be um, you know competitive with with Ferrari and the best Porsches. Um, and I think in most cases that's you know turned out to be the case. Whether Ferrari has the same view, I don't know. Um, but the car did incredibly well, but not quite well enough. So let's just talk, the last car I want to talk about specifically was <clears throat> the GR86, second um, in auto cars, it, uh, in Evos, excuse me, and it did pretty well in auto cars, fifth. Um, yeah. I drove it on the launch in Spain, thought it was fantastic, good step on from um, the GT86 in various ways. Can you just give us your thoughts on that car? Well, it's interesting. It did, you know, given what it was up against, and I keep on saying this, but it's really important to remember the context. Um, I think it came fifth in the autocar one, mm. uh, which is which is really, really unbelievably impressive if you think about what it beat. Um, but, you know, I do remember a test the first year the GT86 came out, and it won it. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. It won it, because I can remember we just... We drove the wheels off that thing. We drove it. We were we were being so because of the way it just wanted to be driven because it just basically wanted to oversteer absolutely everywhere. We just spent the entire day howling with laughter. And at the end of it, we looked at the at the at the, at the what were they, the premacy tires and they they were barely marked. And we just thought it's such a usable thing. It's such an easily enjoyed enjoyable car um, that we made it our winner. Um, GR86, it's just, it's like that, but in certain ways, it's a bit less so because it's it, it's slightly more grown up. Um, and I think that if you're going to go down that road, um, you know, what? why make it a bit more serious? Why make it slightly less fun? Um, so it was terrific. It was great. It was great fun. But to me, it didn't do as well in 2022 as the GT86 did in, well, God knows however, however long ago that was. Um, so, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I'm glad that it did well. It's absolutely right that it should do well. Um, but it's not the sort of um, landmark event that the GT86 was when it was new. As a car journalist, I spend lots of time far from home in airports and hotels using whatever Wi-Fi network is available. But I've started using NordVPN to protect my devices and data while traveling. It's easy to use and best of all I can still watch streaming services when I'm not at home. I can't tell you how annoying it is to be told I can't watch a Grand Prix or catch up on Top Gear just because I'm overseas but now I can be halfway around the world and make websites and streaming platforms think I'm back at home in Bristol. We've partnered with NordVPN to offer you a massively discounted rate and I mean more than 60% off the standard cost plus four months for free. It's a hell of an offer. If you've been meaning to check out VPNs but haven't got around to it, just go and try NordVPN now. That's N-O-R-D VPN. Take advantage of this offer at nordvpn.com forward slash intercooler or you can click on the link in the description of this podcast. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee so you can try NordVPN risk-free. Right, let's get back to the podcast. I've got a fairly unusual perspective on Evo and auto cars end of year test because I'm one of only a handful of people who have been judges on both um, in good company as well. Colin Goodwin, Chris Harris, Steve Sutcliffe, 
There might be one or two others that I've forgotten, but certainly we're a small group. Um, and I mean, clearly there are similarities and differences between the two tests in my experience. The biggest difference, as we've already touched on, is that um, in the three that I did with Evo, not once were we on track. I think from time to time Evo does choose to go to a track, but the, the three that I did, um, there was no track element, and that's true this year as well. Autocars mm-hmm. always has a track element. Correct. Um, in, fact, in fact, for a time, in the early days, in fact, I would say for probably the majority of its history, it was track only. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. And there was certainly one that we did at Castle Coombe, um, and it was horribly wet, and the track was really greasy. It's hard work, actually. But we spent most of our—I think we spent most of our time on track that year. Um, so that's a, that is a key difference between the two. But <clears throat> the similarities are that both tests, both magazines, have extremely skilled and experienced judges—people who really interrogate a car deeply, whatever the environment. They think about it deeply. Um, you know, no one's just sort of throwing their <clears throat> throwing their points out there willy nilly. There's real thought and care that goes into these on both sides. Um, and w- what was interesting is that having done three Evo tests back to back, I then did two autocar tests. Um, and I never, apart from the fact that at autocar there was a track element, I never felt like I was looking for something different because I was writing for Autocar or I was writing for Evo. I just, I looked for the same things that I like in a car. Um, And so fundamentally, the tests were basically the same. I was looking for the things in cars that I value, that are are important to me, um, just as much in one as I was for the other. So So, so they're fundamentally the same. So were you looking for, just trying to drill down a bit into that? Yeah. The car in which you had the most fun, the car well, this is an interesting point. Was the most capable, mm. which doesn't necessarily mean the most faster, the, the 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 fastest. Were you offsetting, for instance, things like you know, if a car um, handled amazingly, but only at the price of having a rubbish ride quality, um, you know, that sort of thing? Would you penalise cars if they had? Uh, if they only had sort of like paddle shifts and weren't manual. Mm. I'm just interested in, in, in what the criteria are. I don't think I'd ever penalise a car based on a technical thing, you know, the gearbox or something you could read off a spec sheet because I think you have to drive it to understand if it actually is a penalty or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. But <clears throat> so I, I think probably I was looking for cars that were deeply exciting mm. Um and just the ones that I enjoyed driving the most, wherever I was, on road, on track, Wales, England, whatever. Uh, and I th- But what strikes me is that it's often the same kinds of car that excel in these tests. And actually, there are some anomalies this year, the GR86 is one, MC20 another, but it tends to be the Porsche GTs of this world, the mid-engine Ferraris, the mid-engine McLarens. Quite serious, quite hardcore stuff. Mm. Um, and it's perhaps no surprise really that those are the cars that win because often they're the ones that we are most moved by most thrilled by and the ones yeah. that are also the most capable whether we're on road or on well track. They're, they're the one whose manufacturers have made the greatest efforts to make yeah. them you know good at those sorts of things and for and, and for obvious reasons exactly right um one of the curious things about these car of the year tests is that they seem to be the ones that are most discussed amongst readers um, you know, you see lots of chatter on social media when these tests come out, people talking about 
well, the imagery and the results and some of the impressions, they don't seem to sell magazines, though. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Um, uh, they never, they tend not to be big sellers, which mm. is always, you know, an argument for for not doing them. Um, and we all live in straightened times, and you know, and I hope that we can continue doing these things um, forever. But you know, it may be that. Um, they think well. I mean, they, they tend to be these events tend to be the biggest single spend yeah, that a car magazine will um, will make on you know on, on any particular feature. They, they're the most expensive features in any car magazine. Um, and and you're right. The issues that they go into relative to other is, editions of the same magazine tend not to sell brilliantly. But I but I've I've always thought that's a rather sort of two-dimensional way of looking mm. at it um and and i think the value isn't exactly what you said is that you know they may not sell millions but the amount of chatter i mean the fact we're recording this podcast yeah you know we didn't have an event this year and we're talking about other people's events now um to me is where the value really lies um, and the debates that it's that it inspires um and that's where you know they're brand building exercises i think um and you know they may not be the biggest selling um, editions of the year, but that doesn't mean they don't have um, real and proper value. And I think that it's, it's just like, you know, you know, it's like, I suppose, it's the auto car road test is another example. Um, I don't know whether anybody buys auto car because they road test more, you know, individual cars one per week more thoroughly than anybody else. But it's part of their brand identity. Mm. Um, and I think that it would suffer if they didn't do it because they become more like and, and i think that if you became the major magazine that no longer conducted that test every year um your status and your brand uh would be diminished as a result and that is why and i know i would say this wouldn't i and it's entirely in my interest that i do because i quite enjoy doing it but <laughs> you know the, but, but that is why they should continue and you cannot just look at it in terms of well there's a feature in a magazine um and that, that magazine didn't do particularly well. Um, and also, you know, the other thing is that, is that, you know, what goes on a cover of a magazine, and, and that's what we're really looking at, because, you know, if they're subscription copies, they'll go anyway. So it's people sort of browsing through news agents and seeing stuff. Well, you know, they're probably not going to be the sort of core um, customers for that magazine, but they are ultimately the people who decide whether a magazine is perceived to have, been, to have sold well or not, because the subscribers get mm. it come what may. Uh, and so the core audience is already going to have it. Um, and so you're talking about the sort of floating voters, the passing traffic, you know, browsing through Smith's at the train station or about to get on an aeroplane or whatever. Um, and they probably would be more drawn to some punchy scoop on the cover, you know, new Golf GTI revealed or whatever, than they would, you know, a picture of 10 cars and, you know, and that sort of thing. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing it. But also, it's the only time, probably, in the year that the entire road testing team gets out onto the same event. Mm. Um, it's the only test that runs over a number of days. You'll have your best photographers there, your best video team there. You'll go to the best locations. And so, aesthetically and in terms of the writing, it should be the, the sort of crowning achievement of the year, shouldn't it, for an editorial yeah. team? Um, yeah. And you see it in... All the magazines have produced beautiful imagery, um, wonderful words as well. So, yeah, in that sense, it re they, these tests really are the highlight. Um, so David Walton wanted to know a few specific things. How do we arrive at the cars 
that go. I mean, there's quite a lot of variation in the contenders across the different magazines. Um, mm. And in some cases, it's, it's obvious, you know, if there's a new mid-engine Ferrari that year, it's going to be there or it really should be. Um, but often there is availability is a factor. Mm. Um, cars dropping out because someone's they get them crashed the week before. Yeah. Yeah. It's always um, a worry on the autocar event because we tend to go last um, uh, quite intentionally. Uh, this year we were, I think, literally the week after Evo. Um, and they had the M4CSL. And I think, I think I'm right in saying we couldn't have the M4CSL, not because they damaged it, but because BMW just couldn't turn it around in time to, to get it out to us. Um, mm. So, you know, and, and, but sometimes it has happened where, you know, one magazine has had it, a car's got damaged, and which means another magazine can't have it. Mm. Um, it happens. And that's just kind of luck of the draw, really. And why is it that you guys would have a big SUV at the test? in the Aston Martin DBX 707. Um, and I don't think any of the other magazines had it along. What's the point well, of that? What's the point? Okay, so what is the point of it? I think it adds texture. I think it adds context. I think it's interesting. I think ultimately, you know, why did we do anything? We think it's interesting. Um, you know, I don't think that anybody, least of all anybody at Aston Martin, thought that it was in with a chance of winning it um, mm -hmm. when it turned up. But I think from the point of view of the story, which is what we must always think about, you know, the DBX 707, which we haven't really spoken at all about this other than to say that it came like ninth or whatever. It, it, in terms of what it did for what it is, it was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, it mm. was in many ways the most surprising car there um, because it would do absolutely ridiculous things. Now, it wasn't terribly good because it's a 2.3 ton SUV and it's as hard as a block of flats. You know, and compared to mid-engine supercars, surprise, surprise, you know, it, it, you know, we found its limitations quite quickly. But I would defend having cars like that. You wouldn't want them to all be like that. But I think having that sort of, you know, it's just so people can think, oh, okay, so that's where the best example of that mm. kind of car, which it is to me, um, sits in this field. I think it, it's just about context. And when you are, you know, and when you have 11 cars, you can do that sort of thing. You know, if they were only going to have, you know, three or four cars, which would be an entirely, you know, defensible thing to do, it wouldn't get, it wouldn't get a look in. But when you have that kind of latitude to be a bit creative to pe to make people think oh what did they put that there um it just makes the story more interesting so to an extent my question is not what's it doing there but why wouldn't you have mm. it yeah and but that's right particularly if it's an exceptional example of the breed it's interesting mm -hmm. to see what it can Indeed. do against but you wouldn't have the second third fourth best super suv there would you because that would absolutely not yourself, and, and, and 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 if there hadn't been a new contender in that field, a new contender which wasn't sort of broadly regarded to be the absolute best uh, example of that kind of car. You know, we, we wouldn't have had a, I don't know, a Cayenne GT along because we just felt the need to have an SUV there. If we didn't think that there was an SUV which qualified, we wouldn't have an SUV there. But we just thought it was an interesting question, and so we decided to answer it. Fair enough. So David finally also wanted to know if, you know, those, all that purple prose, those lyrical passages where the writer describes chasing a Lamborghini <laughs> howling across the moor, <laughs> maybe yeah. at sunset, mile yeah. after mile. Um, yeah. Everyone's aware that there's an awful lot of work that needs to be done photog photography-wise, perhaps video Time yeah. is quite short. 
Yes. Do those things actually happen, or is there some artistic license in there? Is the writer flexing some creative muscle? No, I, well, I hope not. Um, mm. No, I think those things actually happen. I mean, for us, for instance, and I can only talk about the autocar event because, you know, that's the only one I, I, I do. Um, you know, we have a track in one place where we do all the track stuff, and we have a road in another place. Um, and it's about an hour and a half between the two right across the middle of snowdonia so yes absolutely we do those things mm. uh, and absolutely now we may recreate them for the photography because the you know one thing is absolutely certain is when you're doing those things there isn't anyone pointing a camera at you because no. you know it would be completely ridiculous you could never get a sharp image um so we may well think okay well that you know we had that experience and therefore we will go and illustrate that by taking a photograph and you set up the photograph and that's fine but no it's not to say that they don't happen at all um i mean sometimes you know you can be on the road where you're doing the photography um and and you know what we do particularly when we do the road stuff is you know we tend to have a photographic crew and we tend to have the judges um and you know one of the reasons that i tend not to be in the photographs that much is because i spend most of my time doing my job which is driving the cars um and so again you know if you've got road testers off doing the driving of the cars and we hire in you know very capable drivers to do an awful lot of the photography for us um then you know we do have the time to go off and do those sorts of things um while the you know the very necessary work of getting of capturing the imagery is done by another team of people yeah and in my experience um those those passages in the in the copy have never been faked they've never been purely dreamt up because Often the best drives will be um, on the way back to the hotel at the end of the day. You've used all the daylight and so it's dark or getting dark. Um, and it's the run back to the hotel, which could easily be an hour, where you do settle in behind someone and have an amazing drive. Or you're going from one photography location to another and then it happens. And it's they're often not planned, but you just find yourself behind... Um, a driver who's going at a similar kind of speed and perhaps in a similar kind of car. And you actually, you learn so much following someone. Um, you learn about how your car behaves compared to how their car behaves. You, you see when you're able to close up against them. Not that we're going at racing speed, of course not, but you do get an impression of how their performance compares. Um, and actually, the, the best example I've got of this is Evo's car of the year 2015 when we used the North Coast 500, all of it, um, and we were moving over the course of a few days around it. And the genius of that was that we were travelling. There, there was distance to, to cover. We weren't going from the hotel to a lay-by or a big car park and then being based out of there. We were moving around. And so you often found yourself in a with one other car or with a small number of other cars covering an hour maybe an hour and a half um and that's where those lyrical passages that's where they come from because they actually do happen i'd be really disappointed to learn that someone was making them up entirely now of course i don't believe believe it happens i don't believe it happens no also also you know you have your peers to consider um Mm. you know if i just sort of made up something and it got printed All the other testers would be sitting there thinking, that didn't happen. What's he on about? What's he on about? <laughs> Frankel's lost it. Yeah. And I wouldn't do it for those reasons alone, let alone the fact it would be completely unprofessional to do it. What I do do is, if in the, yeah, so quite often, you know, you'll be in the middle of one of those um, wonderful journeys that you describe, and you'll sit there and you'll think, here's the opening line to my mm. story. Yeah, you will. It comes to you, doesn't it? 
and it won't be something that you've planned you won't have sat down with fred and go okay fred you and me you know mm. let's do an hour across snowdonia you'll just find yourself in that situation and, and because it it happens because it's not fabricated um you know that's where the best stuff comes from and you think okay, and, and then the moment you think okay here's the first line of my story or here's a, par- a paragraph of my story then you start thinking about how am i going to describe it and that's when you really start sort of trying to absorb not just mm. driving everything but you're just trying to absorb the atmosphere of what's going on around you which can so often be be missed if you're just focusing on you know keeping up with the car in front and so you know a lot of it actually happens because we've been driving in that way it's not that we go out to have those journeys with a specific view to writing those sorts of stories. It's, it's, it's usually the other way around and, and, mm. and all the better for it. Yeah, they kind of happen by accident. And that's right, they're better for it. Um, car of the year tests. I do wonder if we need to do one next year. The we intercooler do. car, we'll come up with a name for it. But it needs to be different, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time discussing ways in which it would, be, it would be different because, you know, I don't want to give away too much. But no. I have had a few thoughts um, mm. and and I think we should do it. I think we should absolutely do it and come up with our own. You know, there's no point doing the same as everybody else. No. Um, you know, uh, and what we do um, may or may not be better or worse than what they do, but it will be different. Mm. Um, and, you know, I hope that everybody uh, looks forward to it. I don't know when we'll do it, um, but I've got some thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. um and i don't know how we'll do it but i've got some thoughts on that um and you know hopefully it will be informative hopefully some of the fun that we have comes across and it'll be a worthwhile thing to do indeed well we'll get our heads together and figure out how we go about doing that um for this time next year uh good okay well thanks everybody for listening um i must remind you all that you can now give a subscription to the intercooler as a gift in time for christmas just head to the intercooler.com look for the page called gifts um, and everything will be there. Um, three, six, or 12 months, and there's a discount if you choose a 12-month subscription. Please also rate and review the podcast. Um, it's really important. I can see you doing it. It helps a lot. Um, and as I said at the start of this episode, we'll be back next week, and we won't be talking about car magazines, and we will come up with a topic ourselves. Look forward to it. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.